You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode four. Welcome to the Gimme 5 Podcast, Episode 4. I'm Greg. I'm here with Rob. Hey, how's it going? And Jimmy. Hey, what's up? Today we're going to chat about the things that entertained us over the past week. So in this episode, Jimmy is going to introduce us to the world of Future Cop. With an exclamation mark. Yeah, it's Future Cop with an exclamation mark. This is a synthwave duo from the UK. I'm going to talk about Rick and Morty. And there's a pretty good chance that you know exactly what that is. But if you don't, or you are not willing to watch it... I'm going to try to convince you otherwise. Rob, I think, is going to talk a little bit about the new Star Wars theme parks stuff, or Rob is going to talk about some Maybe new Star Wars, bit, yeah. some Star Wars virtual reality stuff. Yep, yep. Um, and it's kind of rare, although you wouldn't know it, but we all got a chance to see two movies. Uh, we got to see The Dark Tower, and we got to see The Bad Batch over the past week. And we're going to chat about that, and uh, I think some of us have different opinions than other ones, so that'll be kind of an interesting little uh, argument. Heads up, this is a review show, Said so there will be spoilers. Don't say that we didn't warn you. We will introduce each topic before we discuss it, so that gives you the opportunity to skip ahead or come back to us later. And if you agree with what we've said, or if there's other points that you want to talk about, you can always reach us at Twitter, at GiveMe5Pod. You can find us on Facebook, just look up Give Me 5 Podcast, or you can hit us up on Gmail at GiveMe5Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget that 5 is F-I-V-E. Not the number. Yes. So this is technically our first real 5 recording since we actually went live. And one of the things I find really interesting is you know stuff that we've talked about in past episodes, especially nostalgia stuff coming up in current news and oh yeah as denizens of orlando and huge fans of horror and halloween horror nights i was beyond thrilled to see that ash vs. the evil dead as discussed i believe in our first episode and reiterated a couple other times is going to be a haunted house at that halloween horror nights this going year going to be fantastic i'm so looking forward to that i've actually started watching the show and it's good right it is it is it is just as I remember with Evil Dead 2 and uh, Army of... Just Such a throwback. Fantastic. Oh, it's it's great. And Bruce Campbell still nails it. <laughs> Every year at Halloween Horror Nights, they, they always have to have the chainsaw area. And I'm pretty sure that there'll be some chainsaws in that haunted house with Ash's hand. And of course, they always uh, add some water sprayers in there to signify blood. Mm-hmm. And this show or this haunted house would be perfect for that. Um, oh. So between that... And or announcing The Shining earlier this year uh, as one of the houses. You're pretty sure I'm going to be there a lot. You guys are going to hear a lot about it. I'm really looking forward to it. And hey, it starts in just over a month because they're starting early this year. They start September 15th. Oh, wow. Can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> Anything else? Well, I went to Pandora this last Friday. And... I mostly went went because, as Rob alluded to in previous conversations, uh, the wait times for the two rides there are incredibly long. But fortunately, I had a fast pass for Flight of Passage. 
How did you get that? They, you have to like kill somebody to get that. <laughs> well, I wasn't gonna say, but <laughs> um, it was great. You know, we went in the evening, so we got to see the park transition from as it was during the day to as it is during the night, which is very bioluminescent, and you kind of get to watch it come alive. So I would absolutely suggest if if you guys were gonna go, get there, you know, during the evening, watch it come alive ride one of the rides because that's probably all you're going to get to do for now and then uh head on over to Animal Kingdom and watch Rivers of Light which uh is their nightly show there at Animal Kingdom very cool um there are two showings so if you spend some time there i would suggest riding Expedition Everest while one of the shows is going on that way you can get on there pretty quick and then getting there about 15 20 minutes early for Rivers of Light itself. I uh, still have not gone. I'm the last one of this group to have a chance to go, and I blame the four-year-old that's currently wandering around my house. <laughs> well, he'd and, enjoy it. And tell me tell me how much you enjoyed Flight of Passage, Jimmy. Flight of Passage was awesome. Uh, you guys both talked about having problems with motion sickness. My girlfriend does as well. She gets uh, violently ill uh, for 3D movies and did not have a problem with Flight of Passage. So it was awesome. It was an absolute 4D experience. You said it yourself. The park is absolutely immersive, as is the ride. Definitely, you know, worth the price of admission to Animal Kingdom. You get that little extra there. It it was amazing. I, I can't wait to go on so, it again. So would you say that I was too critical in my assessment of Pandora? Or about right? The rides, the rides are fun. I, I mean, in my opinion, Flight of Passage is a fantastic ride. It's one of the best rides in, in uh, actually in all of Disney. Absolutely, it's tiny. Yeah, that it's that tiny. was. And there's not other than the two rides. I didn't feel like there was a whole lot to do there. There are little drums you can bang on. Yeah, there's there's the little drums that you can bang on. When you say tiny, which which section would you compare it to? Like uh... one of the lands in Epcot or. Ugh. section of Epcot or I yeah I would probably say it's about as big as like France, France. Ah. Yeah. yeah it's 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 a bit you can I mean you can walk like I said get there right when the sun's going down you can see it come to life about 20 minutes not even 20 minutes you can walk around the whole thing um you're gonna wait in line for you know two hours for one of the rides but you could buy yourself a Navi tail you can yeah I actually bought a green beer. Nice. There are two exclusive beers to the park, and I got one of the little light-up egg things for $3. But yeah, so they've, they've got the two rides. They've got one or two interactive things, I think, in, in the area. It's just one. I think it's just the drums, isn't it? I, so yeah, I think so. And then they've got the shop. They have one avatar shop. They have an avatar uh, food stop, uh, Satuli, uh, Satuli Canteen, I believe it's called. And then there's also a drink stand where they sell those those specialty drinks. They have two uh, specialty mixed drinks, or one specialty mixed drink. And uh, that's pretty much it. <laughs> pretty much. Still fun. Yeah. Yeah. The The rides are definitely worth it. And like I said, I, I do think Flight of Passage is one of the best rides currently at Disney. Okay. Well, I think we should move on to our five for this week. All right. Um, like I said, this week we're going to – I already gave the list of things we're going to discuss – but at the end, we're going to throw a little bit of something new into our world. 
and we're going to pose a question. It's going to be a very, very important question that I'm sure the listeners are really need to hear involving cannibals. Yes. So, yeah, so stay, oh, yes. stay tuned for that as we discuss our never-ending knowledge of cannibals and cannibal films and TV shows. We are quite knowledgeable. We're going to start off with a little bit of music and Jimmy. Yeah, a little bit of music. Um, all right, so I was going to talk about a different album from an artist called Mega Drive, but the music that you are listening to is from the band Future Cop. Now, the album is called Return to Alvograd. They are a synthwave group, um, but they are not the super high energetic stabbing synth dance side of the new retro wave or synth wave. The music is, yes, it's very heavily inspired by 80s synth sounds and film scores. Uh, the album itself feels very cinema cinematic. It, it feels very big and very full. There are some tracks that get a little bit faster, but it's nothing that you would really, in my opinion, listen to you know, during a high-energy workout. Um, it, it, it's more, hey, you know, I really want to go to the arcade, or I really want to go chill on the beach, as opposed to, man, I, I, I want to go cut somebody up and make barbecue out of them. <laughs> Speaking of cannibals. Speaking of cannibals. Uh, I bought, I listened to the album when you mentioned it mm -hmm. as well earlier this week, and it was interesting because I listened to it while I was working on some stuff. And the time passed really quick. It, yeah. And what you said was right. It does kind of take you... It's a little more ambient. Mm -hmm. And I listened to it all the way through. And I was like, oh, wow. And I was like, I thought... It seemed like just a couple songs went by. Yeah, it feels very much like a score to a film. Yeah. I, I was going to touch on that, too. Like you said, you know, it's something that I can put on in the background while I'm working. And then... You know, the album's over, you go, wow, was that, like, two songs? And then the sun's going down. You know, so it, you know, it is very ambient. Uh, parts of it remind me of the ambient works by Richard D. James, also known as Aphex Twin. And a lot of it also reminds me of uh, the the act Tycho. It's, it's a really relaxing album, and... It's described on their website as a, quote, musical adventure through life, love, awakening, darkness, spirituality, mysticism, and inner universe, end quote. And, yeah, it's definitely not an album to listen to while driving on long distances, because one of the times that I was listening to it, I was driving on a long distance. And that whole passage of time thing is really good when you're working, mm -hmm. really bad when you're driving. <laughs> you look up and you go, how am I for 100 miles away? Yeah. Why am I in Melbourne? That's Florida, not Australia. Did I miss my turn? <laughs> yeah. My favorite tracks are, I'm, I'm going to butcher this. I'm sorry for our, our French listeners, if we have any. Um, oh, we will. The track is called La Foi en Lou. Yeah, that's roughly translated as uh, liver toilet, in case you're wondering. I don't believe that's correct. It's featuring the electro pop group from the Netherlands called Lightning. It's spelled L-G-H. T-N-N-G. So I hope I'm saying that right. But it's a very female vocal heavy track. So um, I, I I really, really dig that. As we, you know, we've talked about some, some music in the past. Um, the lights were too controlling me. Will you found 
Echoes of Destiny, which we kind of touched on Pandora a little bit. The track opens with a, a kind of a jungle sound. Um, oh, nice. It, yeah, it just kind of transports you to a different place. Uh, you know... I I'll put it this way and I'll kind of end on this if you guys wanted to chime in but I can listen to the album and be creatively inspired and move to create art but I could also listen to it while I'm racking up high scores at the arcade uh, don't lie you don't rack up high scores at the arcade not, not anymore I kind of want to talk about the cover of the album too because um, the cover of the album kind of looks like a um, looking at it right now it looks like a tool laser show going on at a um i don't know on the cover of a yes album it's uh <laughs> it's pretty cool it is very Got, cool uh, and then they even kind of age the artwork a little bit to make it look just like a vintage 70s um you know, progressive band album like, cover as well especially with I, their logo i thought of asia can we put a picture of the uh, cover on the facebook we, we're gonna put a link to it okay i think we should so people can check it out if they want yeah check it out if you want to it's uh www.futurecop dot info no hyphens no special characters no exclamation point at the end of future cop but futurecop.info check them out let us know what you think hopefully i'm not way off base but you know of course contact us let us know okay guys um, it's my turn to try to turn you heathens into Rick and Morty fans. Uh, it's, I, I, I know Rob has seen a little bit of it because, in fact, the first time I ever watched Rick and Morty, it was at your house. I, I've seen, I've seen one or uh, I haven't, don't think I've seen a whole episode, but I've seen some of it. The only thing that I've seen from the creator and in the style of Rick and Morty was the reading of the ridiculous courtroom situation that happened in Georgia. And that was funny, but I haven't seen an episode. I even have two t-shirts from, from Rick and Morty only because of the loot crate subscription that I have. They sent me t-shirt. So Rick and Morty is a show that's created by Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland. Dan Harmon was the showrunner for the show community for several years during a forced sabbatical in which he was basically fired for a year. He decided to create a show. Now, he was basically forced off of the show community, partially because of community's very meta look at things. There was the regular comedy of what was going on with the characters, but there was also things going on behind the scenes. There were paintball episodes that mimicked 80s action movies. There were little in-jokes, one, one of which I have to talk about now. It's a little off topic, but... There was a running joke in Community where if a character said, a character would say Beetlejuice like once a season. And the th so this is uh, over three or four years. And the last time someone said Beetlejuice, he kind of appeared in the background and walked by an open window. And that, that's selling a joke over three years. And you've got me if you can do that. Nice. Yeah. All right. That's pretty funny. Eventually that got NBC kind of annoyed. They tried to tone it down a little bit. I'm pretty sure that's one of the reasons, other than some tweets and things, that got Dan Harmon to leave for a year, at which point you could definitely tell that community kind of went more of a straightforward route and occasionally tried too hard to capture the old magic, and that one season wasn't as good. So in this off season, Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland 
got together and created a show that was animated so it could really go and do all of the crazy things that it wanted to do. So it could do time travel, it could do aliens, it could do monsters, it could do crassness, and they really go all out. But it's not so absurdist that it doesn't actually make sense as it's going on. So when I found out that there was this cartoon show, even though it was in a style that I hate, that semi-adventure um, time style, which I believe it's like people refer to as kind of Western animation inspired, and I just, I hate that style. But then I started hearing stuff like, you know, it's inspired by Doctor Who. It got its start as kind of a gross take on Back to the Future with the older guy and the younger guy kind of traveling through time yeah, and in different dimensions. That. I can see that, yeah. Um, and then the the people said that they were they were inspired by Ren and Stimpy, which growing up and to this day was one of my favorite animations or favorite cartoon animations because it was absurdist, fantastic, gross cutaways and gross like still image kind oh, of yeah, cut two jokes. The super detailed ones. When I got all that information and figured out it was all in one show, I was like, okay, this is I'm gonna have to watch this. Um, season one was absolutely awesome. Season two was awesome. Season three just began. Um, episode one dropped on April Fool's Day. Just no one knew about it, and it was definitely one of those things where people were like, they did it on purpose. So people were like, did you see the new Rick and Morty? It's like, yeah, whatever. You're, you know, April Fools. Huh? But it actually was a real thing. And that whole episode, which I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard about was all about going back in time to try to get some of the Szechuan sauce from the Mulan promotion that McDonald's did. I have heard about this. And I actually so, have not. So they, the whole episode was about that. And so many people started talking about the Szechuan sauce from the Mulan promotion at McDonald's that McDonald's actually responded to the episode. Oh, wow. And first of all, awesome PR, McDonald's. Not that I'm the world's biggest fast food fan, but you guys need to release that sauce again. Um, so that was April. Get on it, McDonald's. So recently, several months later, they released episode one or two, technically, but it was the official beginning of season three. And McDonald's followed up and sent them a, a one of those like top secret looking cases, not the silver one that you always see in movies, but like a military looking case with a gallon of Szechuan sauce in it that was all labeled up to as like the last Szechuan sauce that that Rick and Morty were searching for and they actually sent nice. it to the creators. It's like, it's, nice. it's awesome. Um, so again, good work, McDonald's. You're getting my plug. Yeah, that they would even, that they would even participate in the joke like that and, and decorate it up, you know, like they were looking for it in the show. I mean, that's fantastic. It's like legit. It's not just like someone wrote on it with a Sharpie. It's like an actual printed label and everything. I really want a Big Mac so, right now. Right? <laughs> yeah. Good work, PR department. I think we just, in the episode right here. Good job, guys. We're going to McDonald's. We'll be back in a bit. And we're back. Um, so real quick, just you know, finishing up the Rick and Morty stuff. Um, season three happened, the uh, or starting to happen. We're on, I believe, the last one that just ran was episode three of season three. Episode two was a Mad Max reference, which kind of took um, the whole idea of Mad Max and Thunderdome to the suburbs in a way, which was fantastic. Okay. And the the third episode was refer was called pickle i'm pickle rick which was glorious okay and it's one of those things that you can't really explain so well i'm just trying to figure out why you would do this why anyone would do this the reason anyone would do this if they could which they can't would be because they could which they can't the main scientist character the old guy who is rick decided that he didn't want to go to family therapy so he turned himself into a pickle 
And <laughs> he says, so he says he's doing it in order to challenge himself. By the end of the episode, he has turned himself into a half pickle, half rat, half cockroach monster that is um, doing all sorts of slaughtering in the sewers. And it's fantastic. I, my, I promise you that my, my explanation of it is nowhere near as ridiculous as it actually was. That sounds Find a like way to watch it. Absolute madness. It, it, you're so correct. I might, right. I might have to check oh. it out, but, but Greg, I really want you to read your description of it because anytime you mention that last thing in your list, it needs to get notoriety. <laughs> the, uh, the therapist voiced by Susan Sarandon, that part? No, 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 the, the the description your very first paragraph about it oh yes okay so as i i we take notes on this show just to make sure that we're not rambling on about stupid crap like going to mcdonald's uh yeah mm. anyway so my description Oops. was um it's got the dimensional travel and creativity of doctor who the character dynamic of back to the future the biting satire of south park and it's a reference driven story of the simpsons the comedic timing of red and stimpy the wit of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and then you toss it all in a blender with the beer, mix it up, and then sprinkle just a little bit of Zardoz on top for sheer ridiculousness. <laughs> wow. Oh, and I love the Zardoz reference. And for those who don't know, that was a movie that starred Sean Connery. Oh, yes, man. Sean Connery in, what was it, the 70s? Or was it the early 80s? I believe late 70s. I think it was the 70s. And it was just so terrible. And so epically awesome to watch in like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 vibe because that's where we saw it. We saw it at the Enzian, and it was everybody sitting on the lawn talking, making comments at the movie, and it was fantastic. Um, a actual side note for Halloween, I am dressing as Zardoz. <laughs> wait, wait, the the red um diaper suspender thing? Yeah, Please that thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> side note, we will. Not be having Give Me Five podcast Halloween party this year. <laughs> Just saying. No, uh, yeah, Zardoz, uh, 1974, January 1st, 1974. So that was a New Year's Eve or New Year's Day release. Oh, wow. Was Sean Connery Zardoz? Was that his name in it? No, it was. Oh, okay. Well, I'll be well, dressing as Sean say. Connery. I can't say what it is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we can't really explain what it is. But if you have an, ever have an opportunity to see Zardoz with a bunch of friends, friends you like to sit around and laugh at ridiculous movies with, and and maybe drink a little bit. Yeah. Go check and it you out. You might want to invite that one film friend. Invite that one film friend that takes everything too seriously <laughs> and see and see if he, what he makes of it. See if he sits there trying to find the deeper meaning of it. Because if you watch, look at the watch reviews. Watch him develop a nervous tick. Yeah. Because if you read the reviews on Amazon, there are people that like vehemently defend a movie that even the director said something like, yeah, that one got away from me. That's probably never a good thing when you're describing your movie like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was okay. kind of a runaway train. <laughs> yep. So we are we're going to move on here. Um guys, watch Rick and Morty season 3, get the other episodes. Um I'm sure you can stream them. Um you can buy them on on DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. They're definitely worth watching. I'm excited about this next thing, Rob. Go on. Well, I don't have a ton of information on it yet. However, um at Disney Springs which is formerly downtown Disney, um, where Pleasure Island, you know, where Pleasure Island used to be, but they've since shut that down, and it's all kind of like shops and restaurants and stuff now. Um, but Disney Quest has also recently closed, um, and I'm wondering if they're going to put this where Disney Quest is, 
But what they're planning is a Star Wars-based, completely immersive, almost like VR thing. Um, and it's it's going to basically immerse, you know, the, the person in this world, and it's gonna. They're, they're talking about it being involving like all the senses: sight, sound, smell, touch, taste. You know, all that stuff. And um, I'm not quite sure how they're gonna do it, but they're partnering with uh, ILM. Um, Lucasfilm Immersive Entertainment Division, and they're going to bring Star Wars uh, VR basically to Disney Springs, and it's supposed to be this year. Oh, wow. That's the big news, is that it's supposed to be this year. I believe it's later this year. I want to say, like, uh, end of the year-ish, November, December, probably somewhere around there. It's crazy. They could see, keep something like that hidden for as long as they have. Yeah, and I, I was and, there on and Saturday. And I haven't heard... I haven't heard too much about it actually, but it's it's the um, the the void. Uh, I I haven't heard it, it, it's the, I, I'm not sure if the company name is the void or if it's the the like the the production people who are the void. Um, but they're calling it a hyper reality experience. So have you guys had a chance to use the new wave or the new, I guess, era of VR? I have no. not used an oculus rift yet so I, I did get an opportunity to use the htc vive um about a month ago and for the listeners out there the people that like don't know me and jimmy for that matter um, both of us work in 3d and both of us work in simulation the weird thing is as much as i have designed for virtual reality and modeled for it and done things for it i've never actually used it like i've always looked at everything in 2d and the programmers would get it into the VR stuff, which is usually off-site. So I finally got a chance to do it at a mall, of all places. And it is immersive. And this is someone that went into it. I kind of felt like, when they were saying how immersive it was, I kind of felt like someone that's like, oh, you can't hypnotize me. Like the person that's specifically trying to fight against being hypnotized. Or fight against, like, you know, we're going to put you to sleep for your surgery. Like, ah, that's not going to, you know, that person... (laughs) Like I, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm not going to be immersed. I know what's going on here. I know how this works. Um, so they, I, they ran me through three simulations. One of which was I was underwater on like the deck of a ship, and a whale kind of swims by, and kind of hangs out there for a while. And you're just kind of looking around the ocean. It's really neat. And then, it's, the whale went to swim away and flipped its tail towards me, and I literally jumped out of the way. Like, oh, whoa! I was like, ah, so it is immersive. Mm. I had a similar reaction at Best Buy to the Samsung Gear VR, which is, you know, you can buy one of these little headsets for a couple of bucks on eBay, but this one has the headphones and I guess some advanced um, optics, but I I, I love watching the reaction videos of people freaking out and flinching and, and just kind of all out losing their minds with these, and even after seeing those videos, I was that guy standing in the middle <laughs> of Best Buy. I It was a – you were like a, a bubble gunner in World War II. And as soon as it came on and I looked down and I saw these 3D legs, but they weren't my legs, I I didn't get super nauseous. I just felt this really intense feeling of I'm not standing where I was standing two seconds ago. Two things there. First of all, do any of you guys remember the Bubble Gunner episode of the show Amazing Stories? No? I do not. I, I do remember something um, 
Man, it's been so long. But yes, I do remember the show Amazing Stories. Yeah, it was like a, a story like an, the artist remember the artist military Air Force kid was stuck in the bottom bubble gunner bubble gun and he was like the airplane wasn't gonna be able to land because the the landing gear had gotten shot off. He was an artist, so he drew and so he drew the landing gear and right as the airplane was about to land, the like these giant cartoony drawings of his kinda came out of the bottom of the airplane. But you know, it's something that I why, why just, do I wanna say that that was Memphis Bell? <laughs> it was not Memphis Bell. It was de- it was definitely amazing stories, and I, I I remember watching it when I was like seven, and I someday I have to watch that again. But anyway, the other thing I was going to say is in the VR thing, um, you know, where I became that guy that with the reaction video, um, the next little thing was like an office scene, and a little donut cart comes up and offers you some coffee and donuts, and even though again virtual, I opened up the box of donuts, took out a donut, put it up to my mouth, and was like moving my mouth chewing, even though I knew that I didn't have a donut in my hand, but like I faked, I reenacted the process of making coffee and eating a donut, even though I had no coffee there and I had no donut and it pretty much sold the HTC to me right there. I don't have one yet, but soon. Does it, does it register your hand movements then? It does. You have two controllers, uh, one in each hand. Um, the thing that sells it even more so than the, the goggles or not more so, but really with the goggles is the ambient sound because they have really good headphones on those things. Ah. So like hearing phones ring off in the distance or hearing like the underwater sound and your ears kind of getting, you know, filled with water, that kind of thing, uh, really which, sold it and put me there. Which mall did you try? I was at? the Millennium Mall in Orlando, actually at the, the Microsoft store. You can okay, walk I'm up and just sign up. Okay. I'm actually going to Disney Springs tomorrow night, so I will let you. I will snoop around and let you guys know what I find out about the immersive Star Wars experience. It could be either Disney Quest, but Lanuba is going away as well, so it could be Lanuba. Um, but from what I understand, it's called uh, Star Wars: Secrets of the Empire. I read that there was no definitive replacement for Lanuba. I know that Cirque du Soleil were exploring other options for that venue, so. I, I think, and I am sad that Lanuba's. I I have not seen it. You know, I'm thinking the Give Me Five podcast adventure live show should take over that spot. <laughs> that, I agree. I'll get right on it. And we can just tell them leave the trampolines in the stage, and we're good. Yeah, I Sounds want that good. big building to jump onto though, and off. Yeah, of. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're good. Okay, guys, I think we are going to move on to our movie talk. Which one? Both of us, like I said before. Both of us, or all of us, finally saw the same movie. Um, I think we should start kind of talking about Dark Tower. Sounds good. So I'm curious, Jimmy. I want to hear what you have to say because I know that you were skeptical skeptical okay. about this movie coming out and that you were worried that it was going to totally butcher the whole thing. But I if was. I'm not mistaken, you said you really enjoyed the movie. I did. I really, really enjoyed the movie. Uh, speaking of Disney Springs, we saw it at the – AMC theaters there at Disney Springs, which are huge. Yeah. Did um, you do the fork and screen or just the regular theater? Just the regular theater. I love the movie. Um, you know, we were talking about it before going to see it, and I went to look up tickets and I typed it into Google, and it just shot out all these awful reviews. And yeah, I was noticing that too. While I'm, I'm not. I, I like to think that critic reviews don't have much sway over me i couldn't help but to have that in the back of my head so when the movie started and they showed 
the aftermath of the battle at Jericho Hill, which was covered not so much in the books, but more so in the comic books. I said, wow, they're making a reference to that without really explaining it too much. Okay, I'm in. And, you know, it was just fun. Uh, My girlfriend made the point that it really, and I thought this was a really good point for the movie being as short as it was, just over an hour and a half. It really condensed a lot of the series of books into that short amount of time. I thought Matthew McConaughey's portrayal of the man in black was totally evil and ruthless, just like the character in the books. Stop breathing. Stop breathing. Oh, um, that was that was pretty pretty brutal. Um, but you know the the character treatment. There were, aside from the the um, Easter eggs that we are going to discuss, there were there were little small things in there. Um, like when the gunslinger met the people from the town that they wandered into, and the the man greeted him with long days and pleasant nights. Uh, that is the greeting that they use in the book. And even down to where they're the scene with the seer Ara, um, before she communicates with Jake using the shine. Spoiler alert: she says just very just in the background, somebody brings her something. One of her attendants brings her something, and she says "thank you, Sai," which is how they say "thank you" in the books. So very little things like that. Where and huge spoiler here, where the man in black is talking about Roland and his guns, how they were uh, forged from the steel that made up the sword of Arthur Eld. And he said the Keystoners refer to it as Excalibur. I, I, I'm getting chills as I talk about it right now. The hair stood up on my arms. There were just so many moments like that in the movie that made reference to the book while keeping with the story that just, I I had to have been annoying. I, I oh there it is. Oh they said it. You know kind of thing. Um, so, but I, I was super excited throughout the whole movie. I thought it was really fun. As as someone who has read the books and seen the movie, is the movie more of a continuation of the books, or is the movie a con- like a condensed version of all the books? It's like a very condensed version of the books with okay. an. Because I, I had heard both and I wasn't sure because I haven't read the I, books. I'd have to say. I'd have to say it's a very condensed version of the books where, yes, things are left out, but a lot of those things that are left out are in the form of Easter eggs. Y- you could tell that the director and and the writers who adapted it did their research. Uh, the, the movie does have an alternate ending to the books, um, and there are some characters – there are some characters from the books that are left out, some main characters, but I was okay with that. Well, I mean, the movie is only like an hour and a yeah, half. It's I mean, you can short. only cram so much into an hour and a half movie. I, the My biggest disappointment is that they did not include Jake's midworld pet, which is a bumbler by the name of Oi. And he he's like a little dog uh, that is named Oi because that's his bark. He says Oi. So I kind of missed that. But overall, I thought it was great. I, I have to say, as as someone who has not read the books, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I, I mean, it had it had good action. It wasn't it wasn't nonstop action. They they did pace it very well. They took breaks. They they had some very meaningful dialogue. There they was had some, some humor they in had there. Some, 
yeah, they had some humor. They had some really great scenes, and and the scene where where they come back to Jake's house, I, I won't give it away, but the scene where they come back to Jake's house kind of pulls at you a little bit. Um, I thought that what he's oh, talking yeah. about. I thought that was impressive because the character that he's talking about didn't have a lot of screen time up to that point, very little, and you legitimately felt you felt feelings for what happened in that situation. It gave me the feels. Yeah. Yeah, you you felt like, oh man, really? You felt that towards the character and then you felt quite the opposite for the other character in that scene. Right. And there's and there's a lot of times I'll go to a movie and I I'm not like a movie critic where I go and I sit down and I watch it and I I'm like, "Okay, let's break this down." I mean, occasionally I'll have problems with a movie and if the problems are big enough, They'll take me out of the movie and cause me to think more about the the continuity problems and the the problems with the story and the holes in the plot than actually enjoying the movie. This movie, I didn't really have any of those moments. Um, the movie held my attention. It kept me there for the entire movie. There really wasn't any part in the movie where I was like, come on. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, they, they didn't drag anything on. That I felt that way. Or, you know, yeah. parts that were so ridiculous that you were just like, oh, come on, this is BS. That you were like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. What are, what are, what are we doing? Yeah, well, I had a little bit of a different feeling. And I'm going to first talk about the stuff that I really liked. First You're of all, wrong. you guys mentioned... <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> so, a few things. First of all, the things I liked. Um, it was definitely a throwback movie. Um, you mentioned that everything was very, very compressed, which I, I thought was actually okay, despite the fact that as everyone knows, it's a whole bunch of books and a whole bunch of really thick books. Um, in fact, so much so that I believe they have announced that even though the movie didn't do so well, they're still going ahead with possibly a TV show and possibly a sequel. A TV show is is kind of the first step. Yes. Well, I guess the movie was the first step, but the TV show is going to be the first thing they really start working on. So would – real quick. Real quick though, would the sequel be a continuation of the story, almost like a new story completely? Because it, because from what I understand, they've wrapped up the story of like the entire series of novels, didn't they? You, or did you they know? Not? There's a lot that was left out. I I say that it did a very good job of condensing, but I also believe that the way it was left at the end provides a chance to introduce some of the, a lot of those huge things that were left out. So. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that it was a throwback. I mean, it was almost, in a way, like a Spielberg movie where one of the main protagonists was a kid and there was kind of a parental situation, which I know, you know Spielberg did a lot of that in some of his 80s and early 90s movies, like a you know, kid from a divorced family or a broken home kind of thing and going on an adventure, <clears> which <throat> I loved. Me. Yeah, pretty much, um, which I loved. The action scenes brought me back to... to I used to absolutely love some of the Chinese action movies that and that started coming out also in the, the early 90s, I believe. Tarantino made them popular and start, talked about them, and I heard, had some friends in high school that were like really into them. So they got me into stuff like Hard Boiled and The Killer, and I kind of forgot how much I liked the, the, those action scenes. And there are definitely some very artistic John Woo-esque action scenes, which, you know, count me in on that. I was... When I was riveted to that stuff, the Ray, the gunslinger reloads his gun was fantastic. Oh, I, yeah, they did. A, it was really neat the way that they did that. And the acting was fantastic. Those three things kept me entertained. But there's, I think, 
part of the problem with the decompression for me was that the the villains didn't seem like a credible threat except for the man in black. So the man in black, you know, it's kind of the typical, I'm going to open up a portal to the other world so I can take it over. And the man in black was legitimately terrifying and legitimately powerful. But everyone else that he was with either seen kind of bumbling, easily evaded, easily defeated. Like they weren't as spelled out. I mean, there were some guys that just kind of looked kind of furry and cute. There were some people that wore like skin masks. And I, I mean, I, I have to, I have to, I have to mention though that, you know, if, if everybody in, in the show is this, is this difficult obstacle, this insurmountable, insurmountable obstacle, I mean, you end up with something like Dragon Ball Z where everybody is the biggest bad ever and then you beat him and then, oh my gosh, there's another one and he's the biggest bad ever and then you beat him and then, oh my gosh, there's another one. He's the biggest bad ever. I thought the way that they did it allowed for, Roland, who's the gunslinger, to to basically set himself up so that him and the man in black were the two main opposing forces where it didn't feel like, you know, Roland was this ridiculous, all powerful God because, you know, he Mm -hmm. could beat all of these guys that nobody else could take on. And he ended up doing it like 80 times in the movie and then still had to take on the man in black. I liked that. I liked that the that his minions were basically cannon fodder. Now the cannon fodder can take on the other cannon fodder, which is like the humans and stuff, but like Roland going through the minions or Jake going through the minions, because Jake is supposed to be very fairly powerful as well. That Roland or Jake going through the minions would be like the man in black going through the humans who are standing there protecting Jake. You know what I'm saying? The humans and the minions fight, but Roland and Jake fight the man in black. And neither one of them have to deal with the minions because the minions are beneath. That makes sense. But at the same time, if my feeling throughout the thing was even if the portal opened, that there wasn't enough on the other side of the portal in this kind of dark world to be frightened of. Um, I mean, this kid, this kid gets there and immediately evades this very well-designed – the creature design was great too. This very well-designed kind of half-rat, half-porcupine, half-wolf creature – evades him pretty easily and we'll talk about what he's running around in in a moment when we talk about some easter eggs and you know even the some of the villains on the the earth side or what do they call it the keystone earth side even some of those villains get evaded pretty quickly so in a way that took me out of it and i think there were parts of that movie that i wanted to be expanded on like i was like wow that was a that would have been the really cool story so while i while i enjoyed the movie i left feeling like I could have enjoyed it more or like I was a little shallow. Like, in fact, a bunch of the people I heard them talking as they got up uh, to leave, there were a lot of like, that was it. And then some people saying, oh, I wish that they had done this. And I did enjoy it. And I was, I, I was like, wow, that's over already. Because you said it was like, an, I think it was an hour 45 or maybe an hour 38 or something like that, which is pretty impressive just, for. Just over an hour and a half. Of it. So that was my take on it. Well, you're, and, and that's okay because you're allowed to be wrong. You're entitled and, to your wrong opinion. But no, and that's I mean that's one of the things that I like it when we when we all get to go see them because then we all have differing opinions. Um you know, cuz it's even no if one, one of them, them is wrong. Even if one of them is wrong. Or yes. two of them are. Wrong. No, that that is not the case here. I guess uh you know my notes here are saying that we're talking about Game of Thrones, but I think that would make 6. It would. Yes. We're yeah. not going to be talking about Game of Thrones on this episode cuz apparently I can't count while making notes. But one of the things I really thought about 
so I saw Dark Tower Saturday, digested it, and then of course the Game of Thrones episode. There's two things we've we've we heard a lot about on Game of Thrones. One, the White Walkers, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, and and you see all of these armies, all of the various people with powers and wolves and dragons and whatever. Oh, whatever these slow moving ice zombies aren't going to hurt me. And then the first time you see him last season, where they basically wipe out an entire camp in seconds, you're like, oh, so that was a legit threat. They immediately announce themselves as a legit threat. And then on Sunday's Game of Thrones episode, which apparently we're going to do another special episode, so look forward to that. So on the most recent episode of Game of Thrones, which ran on Sunday, they finally really unleashed the dragons. And which was awesome. Yeah, and we won't go too much into that, but the big deal with that was that all of these armies were like, well, she's got dragons, well, she's got dragons, well, she's got dragons. And you're like, yeah, well, they've got an army of this many people, or they've got weaponry or wildfire if that's like well yeah so what is the big deal about these dragons and these things are basically spitting up hot lava on people so it's like okay these things are a legit threat and i don't think that the dark tower had enough room to breathe to create that that threat that was that was my my complaint that being said i enjoyed the movie i just don't know if i need to enjoy it again i might need to go back and watch it again just to see if I can catch a lot of the Easter eggs. Because I'll be honest, I missed several of them the first time through. Um, some of the I missed Cujo. I, I saw I, Cujo. I saw Cujo, but I didn't recognize it as Cujo. The one that I did see was um, the um, when Roland and Jake were in the, the Midworld or whatever it's called. And they were at a dilapidated theme park. Yes, and he walks past the sign that's that's all corroded and fallen down for the name of the theme park, and the name of the theme park was Pennywise, which, as everyone knows, is is the clown from It. And there was a clown's head half buried in the ground too, with a bunch of balloons. There was yeah. a bunch. That, there was like a whole thing of balloons right there next to the sign as well. There was also the front of a little train with a face on it which I believe was in reference to Charlie the Choo Choo, who is a character-ish from the books as well. Oh, that one I didn't catch. I guess since we're, we're heading down that path to Easter eggs, we should probably just tell us what you saw. Fire them off. Well, well, I saw Christine. The car I saw Christine as well. His, yes. his friend is playing with it. It's a toy car. His, his friend was playing with a toy car that was Christine, yeah. Uh, we both went, we saw Cujo. Cujo's being walked in the streets in New York by a dog walker. Um, and they well, definitely... No, by, by a mom and a son. Was it? Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, they, it was like, a mom and a son, and, they, and Cujo actually revolved around the mom and the son. Yeah. And the camera does a little bit of a slow zoom in on it. So it that's, did. And it, I, I was like, oh. I was like, why are they doing do that? that? Why are they holding on this for so long? But yeah. I noticed something at the very beginning when Jake ventures into the city and he sees a skin changer. For the first time, the first skin changer that he, he sees is wearing a yellow blazer, which I believe refers to the low men in yellow coats who are agents of the man in black who seek out shine users. And for those of you guys that keep on hearing Jimmy say the shine and are also aware of the movie called The Shining. Yes, it's the same thing. That's definitely part of Stephen King lore. Oh, yeah. it's like this extrasensory power that some children have. For those of you that are completely Stephen King inept, and and speaking of The Shining, one of the references uh, that they did have was that there was a um, in the beginning they had this little this little um, 
village or whatever of all these children and there were two twins that came over and kept going come play with us come play with us which is kind of a callback to the twins the ghost yes. twins from the movie the shining there was also a picture on the psychiatrist's desk of the overlook hotel from and the that shining. one i did see yes that one i did see yeah so now from the shining something i saw that i wasn't familiar with though was what was the uh, crimson king the all hail the crimson king because i noticed that on the oh. wall and they kept and they showed it a couple of times we could talk about that for an hour uh the crimson king basically uh the man in black serves the crimson king he's out to okay. do the crimson king's bidding the crimson king is kind of the uh the big bad i guess that we basically, didn't see basically I think he's trapped in the tower right or is that spoilerific spoilerific sorry maybe so it's so it's not so much an Easter egg from something else Stephen King related. It's it's actually related to the Dark Tower. Correct. Yes. And two others, two others. Um, one of the henchmen for the Man in Black was reading a book called Misery's Child. And I, I'm going to jump in there. And if you notice, the font on Misery's Child was Bengiat, ITC or ITC Bengiat, which is the same font that a lot of the Stephen King books used back then, and also the one that Stranger Things uses in their logo. So I had to get that graphic design nerd stuff in there because if I can take out a font, I know it's a me problem. My um, my favorite was very brief. My favorite Easter egg was a poster of Rita Hayworth. Yes, where Roland is being followed and harassed by the Man in Black as he's trying to exit somewhere and a building. A building. And Roland goes and puts his hand on the door to to walk through, and there's a poster of Rita Hayworth, which, if you're not familiar, um, the Shawshank Redemption is the full name of the novella is actually Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, um, because a poster of Rita Hayworth is used to cover the hole that Anthony Dufresne is using to tunnel out of prison. So that reference that Roland also uses that door that's got a poster of Rita Hayworth as he's exiting as an exit. this building yep. was very clever and totally, again, made the hairs on my arms. Uh, one of the codes as well to get into the, the various portals was 1408, yeah. which is another – For the city was, or for the village, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. And that was the name of a movie, actually the highest grossing Stephen King movie. Oh, really? Um, to, still, yeah. Um, about it was uh, fourteen. It was about a hotel room named fourteen oh eight. I believe I've not seen it. Was that the one with John Cusack? Yes, it was. I did see it. It was all right. I think that pretty much covers everything. So, if you like kind of throwback old school movie school movies and above average action scenes, I would say go see it. And um, even if you haven't read the book, I yes, think it's a good absolutely. action film. So the last thing we're going to talk about tonight is a, yet another movie, which we'll talk about in a second, but. We went to see this actually together at a place called the Enzian, which is a movie house in Orlando. And for all of the cool stuff in Orlando, you know, all of the theme parks and exhibits and restaurants and all that stuff, one of the my favorite places in Orlando, period, is this place called the Enzian. Agreed. Um, so I I really enjoy it. Um, they they actually do something that we like to go to a lot. Uh, Greg and I and and Jimmy has gone with us several times. Um, they do a Wednesday night picture show, and it's kind of like they, they do lesser-known movies or movies that are older, um, and they base it's a free movie out Zardoz, on Zardoz, for example. Zardoz, <laughs> yes, 
and it's a free movie out on the lawn. They have they have a food bar out there. They have a bar outside. You just bring a chair or a blanket, set up on the lawn, sit down and watch the movie, and you've got food and and beer and drinks and stuff. And it gets you exposed to movies that you may not watch on your own, or gets you reintroduced to movies that you've forgotten. And it's a lot of fun to go and hang out with your friends and sit down and watch these movies in this really laid back cat. I hate to burst your bubble, but they don't do that anymore. I know it's so sad, yeah. but that's how we got introduced to the NC. Yeah, they, uh, I mean, they'll do all sorts of cool stuff. In fact, we're going to see a few movies coming up. They're going to be doing a George Romero, like, film series with Night of the Living Dead. Damn. <laughs> it always happens without me. So, so the they just year. did a George Romero marathon, uh, which was awesome. They, we did a midnight showing of the movie Maniac from the 70s, which was... Yes. Absolutely terrifying because it's it's filmed in such a quality that it really seems like you're watching a snuff film. They just did The Last Dragon fairly recently. Uh, Ooh, beyond that, the they had a 72-millimeter print, I believe, of Godfather, like one of the original prints oh, wow. that they played not too long ago. So they, they definitely have some very, very cool things, like right in the middle of Orlando or Winter Park technically. But they – like I said, they get all of those indie movies that you see come out in smaller release. So we had the opportunity to go see some of them, and Jimmy brought us to one the other day. Yeah, we went and saw The Bad Batch, which is an indie film. It's made its uh, film festival rounds and received pretty good reviews. I can't exactly remember where. I, actually, the first time I heard about it was on Vice.com. Um, the movie is directed by Anna Lily Amirpour who also directed another favorite of mine called A Girl Walks Alone Home at Night, which is a vampire film with a different twist. It's a, a very quiet, very dark movie. But I really, really got excited when I saw that she had written and directed The Bad Batch. Uh, the Bad Batch came out on June 23rd. It stars Jason Momoa, Suki Waterhouse, who I'm sure we'll see a lot more of soon, Keanu uh, Rabisi. Uh, Neo from The Matrix. <laughs> it's got Keanu Reeves, Giovanni Ribisi, who was also an Avatar, and someone who is almost unrecognizable throughout the whole movie, and very, very quiet. It, was him until the end. it is Jim Carrey. Uh, I had read that somewhere and forgot, and then someone in the theater said, oh, "That's Jim Carrey," and I said, "No, oh my God, yes, it is." <laughs> Um, it is a movie, it's set in what I'm assuming is the not-so-distant future where, um, I believe, overcrowding in prisons has forced the hand of state officials to, you know, help ease the the burden on resources put by incarcerated society where inmates are just pushed out into a no-man's land, a wasteland, the desert, basically – and they're left to fend for themselves. Those inmates or convicted are referred to as the Bad Batch. And we follow the character of Arlen, played by Suki Waterhouse, who is the newest member of the Bad Batch, as she wanders and she's left to fend for herself. Um, pretty quickly into the film, we are introduced to the cannibal aspect as the main character is knocked out dragged off to some camp, has her arm and leg cut off, and we're led to believe that it's being eaten by her captor. Yeah, the, she, the arm and leg are sawed off. It's it's yes. It's pretty visceral. Mm -hmm. It is. 
Um, and somehow you managed to not be in the theater when that part was happening. I was like, I, man, this is right up his alley. I really had to use the restroom. So I missed it. But she, after she recovers, and I'm going to let you describe um, how she sets up her escape. <laughs> um, poop. There, there was poop. Thank you. So <laughs> moving on. Uh, Greg and poop. <laughs> uh, the main character, she Funny. <laughs> she kind of finds her way into the desert, and she's picked up by this drifter, who is Jim Carrey, who was fantastic. I mean, he was even a, though he never speaks a line, didn't say a word. He was just extremely expressive, and no, I was literally looking at him at one point and looking at his teeth, which were all blacked out and like nasty and stuff. And I yeah. was looking at him, and I was th- all I could think was like, did they really hire a homeless person? And I was find this guy. And I gotta yeah. tell you, I was watching the scenes that he was in, and I'm going, God, he looks really familiar. Who is that? And he looked familiar enough that I was like, Who is that? But didn't look enough like himself that I was like, That's Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was like I couldn't tell who it was, but I'm like, I know him from somewhere. Where where do I know yeah. him from? It wasn't until him and the Miami man's encounter, who's played by Jason Momoa, where he gets right up in his face and he juts his chin out at him, that I said, yep, that's him. So the town that Arlen's character is brought to, it's this oasis, I guess, um, of sorts that was created by another member of the Bad Batch who is played by Keanu Reeves. He's referred to as the Dream and he provides this safe haven for these members of the Bad Batch. I guess as long as they pull their weight and give him babies, then he supplies them with drugs and transports their poo out of the city so that they don't have to smell it. And gives yeah, him electricity. Specifically. Yeah. yeah, Jimmy mentions the poo thing specifically, not just to bait me into talking about poop again. But he gives a monologue that's about, I don't know, two or three minutes of screen time about poop. And you're like, where is he going with this and then it turns out that he's making sense where he's like hey i provide utilities for you guys exactly i'm not that bad of a person i Things have that a working we sewer take for granted. Right. <laughs> that's all i had to say um we are introduced to miami man uh played by jason memo who's got the most ridiculous um scarface accent it's true <laughs> and pecs he, he, he is huge Clearly already ready for his scene, for his take as Aquaman, which will make him an even bigger star than Game of Thrones did. He does. Um, He is not a member of Comfort, the town led by the Jim Jones-esque Keanu Reeves, the dream. He is, I guess what I wrote down in the show notes, is an outlander. He lives with his wife and daughter in the fuselage of an airplane in kind of a junkyard, and they survive one of the bridge people that's it they eat people so basically she wanders out in a in a drugged up stupor one night and i don't know how far she walks because it takes two days to get back afterwards by (laughs) by vehicle so i'm not i'm not sure what's going on there but she meets this character miami man jason momoa finds out that her daughter his daughter is the one that she brought back to the jim jones guy you know has this whole um, Stockholm Syndrome thing going on, falls for Jason Momoa, decides she wants to help rescue his daughter. She goes back 
burns all the bridges she can to get the daughter out, walks out with the daughter, and leaves basically paradise in this desert wasteland to be with Jason Momoa, his daughter, and wander the desert with no food or water. And his pecs. And and his pecs, yes. So Pretty substantial. I, I mean, I had my issues with the movie. <laughs> there, this was I not one know. This was not one of those movies where I sat there the whole movie and was just engrossed. There were a couple of times where I was like, what? Why? I don't... It seemed like some of it was yeah. forced. It seemed like it seemed like the movie was trying to be artsy, and you know they were going for for this for these weird things. That's what I thought about as well. And and I was like, all right, whatever. That's what it is. It's it's an independent movie, and it falls right in that category. Um, I mean, for me, the best part of the movie was realizing that the bum was Jim Carrey. I was like, holy crap, that's <laughs> Jim Carrey. I was like, awesome. And- I, I'll agree with you there, and not to say that I did not like the movie. Mm-hmm. Th- there were a lot of times where, as as excited as I was about it, even during the Kennery's monologue where he ends up making this really good point, I just kind of sat back and said, "Oh come on," you know, like <laughs> they they were just tr- there were a lot of parts that were really dragged out there were a lot of quiet moments where the two characters are just kind of looking at each other and they're looking at they each other they were trying like, way too hard they were trying like, way too hard yeah i have a little thing that i personally call the enzian effect going back to the theater that the movies i see there are usually really they're either highbrow or cult classics so when i go into a newer movie there i'm always like okay there's going to be a message behind the message i mean i mean i saw like moonrise kingdom there I saw the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, like the the Swedish version there. So every time I go see a movie there, I'm like, okay, there's going to be some of those paced out, long, quiet scenes. There's going to be certain certain things that you're going to end up thinking about much longer later on. And that might be why I was constantly looking for that. Like, okay, where are they going with this? Because it could have been a very straightforward, like, oh, this is just a prison camp somewhere movie. Like a prison yeah. island or a prison desert or like Escape from New York. And it turned out that it kind of just meandered. It did. And yeah. we even talked about this as we convened after the movie. One of the descriptions that's kind of plastered on all the websites about it said, it's a love story. And I was just kind of like, no, not really. I didn't see it anyway. No, it's a Stockholm Syndrome thing. Yeah. Kind but one of, of the yeah. things that... There was an interview with one, I think, the director, where they, they she basically said something along the lines of whether you're good or evil is depending on who you're with at the time. And throughout the movie, yeah, and throughout the movie, the characters would either make the best possible decision and then immediately follow it up with the worst possible decision. And it really was depending on who they were, the, who they were with, but I don't know if the writing was strong enough to make that the kind of theme of the movie and and i get that that good or evil is all a matter matter of perspective and which side of the line you're standing on but i mean it just didn't it really wasn't that coherent of a movie for me i mean yeah i understood the plot yeah i understood where it went but there were a lot of times where i just questioned why the characters were making decisions that they were making and i'm like that doesn't make any sense (laughs) Like the like the leaving of a of a dystopian utopia where you just to, get to dance all night, and right? Party with and, Jimmy, 
and you have a working sewer system and you have water and you have food and you have you're a not house people. and you're not eating people to just kind of wander the desert because you've been expelled from this from this utopia and you By don't want to go back to the, and you don't want to go back to the cannibals cuz i mean you know that's that's crossing the line apparently but <laughs> wander the desert with one leg and also exactly. rescuing a girl from a utopia like a little girl from a utopia rescuing her and sending her back to a family of cannibals well not even that just yeah who who no longer has a home and they want they get a sweet bike though and sweet moped yeah yeah sweet little scooter mopeds go really well on sand and and i have to i have to say that for me the whole tone of the movie (laughs) this is going to be really bad but the whole tone of the movie was set by that really crappy short movie that was in front of it (laughs) Wow. I was yeah, like, was I was like, what is this garbage? Somebody, somebody reached way back and was trying to make some kind of esoteric point and just completely missed the mark. I was like, what? That was the, the director of this movie. That was actually a short film that she made in, I think, 2009. Oh, it was terrible. I looked, I looked it up. <laughs> yeah, and I, I saw her name. I saw her name attached to the short, and I was just like, oh no. Yeah. It was, Sorry, it was called guys. Six and a Half. It was written in 2009 or produced in 2009, and it was actually the first thing she ever did. Uh-huh. And it was definitely one of those uh, – it was shocking to be shocking, and it was right. artsy to be artsy, but there was really no point. For this, it. it was artsy for the sake of being artsy, not not for like any kind of greater point or greater message. It was just, oh, look at me. Look at what I can do kind of thing. It's like, what? Yeah, it was kind of the, the film version of like one of those art students that decides to uh, to paint a portrait in like blood and feces or something. Hey, look, poop again. It was basically <laughs> the little film version of that. And then and then make up some very deep reason why they did it or what it means. Greg's new nickname is Gigi Allen. <laughs> okay. Um, do we have anything else to say about The Bad Batch? I'm glad that I saw it. A um, couple of days after, it got a little bit better in my mind. I enjoyed it, but I'm not going to see it again. I I would I would not watch it again. But I will say that it did lead us to tonight's Gimme Five. Yes. So we are trying something a little new. I guess we yep. should say um, we did just talk about five things. We also decided that each week we're going to pose a question to ourselves. Based on whatever we happen to talk about this. Or if you guys were to write in and let us know what you want, if you want us to give you five, if you want to write in with a question, we'll be more than happy to answer that as well. Uh, Let's get right into it. So, guys, um, what are your top five favorite cannibal movies? (laughs) Cannibal movies. Okay. Um, Who should go first? I guess I will go first. Go ahead. I think I think you and I, Greg, actually had a couple of the same ones. We did. We did. So I'm going to go five to five to one. Um, my first one is a movie called Bone Tomahawk. Uh, it's relatively recent. I believe it came out in 2016. Uh, it is actually it's currently on Netflix, and it is the tale of a, a, a cannibal Native American tribe um, that live in the caves around this kind of up and coming town. Um, it's pretty gruesome. There's this Bone Tomahawk, which is one of the weapons, and Um, It's a slow burn movie, and actually a few of the ones on my list happen to be kind of slow burn movies, but I really enjoyed it. And actually, I think I watched it at like on New Year's Eve, like at two in the morning, which probably possibly led to my enjoying it so much. (laughs) My number four is Ravenous. 
which was a a movie about the Wendigo, and yes. it introduced us. It drew me to Robert Carlyle. Um, you guys might remember he's one of the Bond villains. Um, he was also in Train Spotting, and he was um, most recently he's been on um, uh, Once Upon a Time. Is that what it's called? The TV show. Yes, the, he's um, he's uh, uh, Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. yeah, and it's basically again the tale of someone who. It's the tale of the Wendigo, which is a Native American myth that if a, a human eats another human, they gain all, all of that person's strength and speed and knowledge. And it basically becomes – they become power hungry and wanting to eat more and more human, more and more humans. Therefore, they become ravenous, and that's thus the name of the movie. And and also probably one of the just better all around movies on all of our lists. I mean, there, there's a couple of there's a couple of like well known and and good movies on the list, but Ravenous is actually in and of itself is a decent movie. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons Rob and I know about it a lot better than most people because it didn't make that much money was um, we both, as you know, worked for Blockbuster, and it was on our trailer tape that was playing in the stores for I, it had to be like four to six months, months. and there was just. There was a, a quote on there that was like the music would cut away and it, you'd hear one of the characters say, eat to live, don't live to eat. And it was like, it was just stuck in my brain. So mm -hmm. now it's stuck in your brain. Uh, so that was my number four. I'm going to speed it up here. Alive, the movie about the soccer team that crashed in the Andes Mountains and are forced to eat the people that didn't survive the plane crash. This is actually a true story, um, but it is a cannibal movie. Um, Silence of the Lambs. While it doesn't have a lot of actual cannibalism, you hear about it. It's talked about. The main character is called Hannibal the Cannibal, and it's a great movie. Um, in fact, it's probably, again, one of the best movies on my list. However, because the cannibalism is a little toned down in that specific movie, I bumped it down a notch. And my number one is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That movie terrified me. And just a quick story. Um, I know it's on some other list, so you guys will hear more about it. The first time I ever saw that movie, there's... There's a scene early on in the movie when these you know hippies in a van basically pick up a drifter and he like starts slashing him with a knife and he's got like long scraggly stringy hair and so on and so forth. I saw the movie um, with a girl I was dating at the time in college and then we – I was about to bring her home and I walked down to the car and I was – she happened to be parked next to a dumpster and never seen this person before in my life. There was this dude with long scraggly hair that jumped <laughs> out from behind the dumpster <laughs> <laughs> like just it almost like his own hand open yeah almost like a cat like in a horror movie where you get the, the fake scare he's like hi it's like jesus uh so i of course drive this person home um and then yeah i drive this person home and i'm like oh crap i gotta go back to my place and, and take a shower because you've messed yourself yeah i know yeah totally i'm i'm like i need to go change my pants but uh the, I never saw him again. I don't know what the deal was, but it definitely added another level to my enjoyment of that movie. So, nice. Those are my five. So I'll go ahead and, and hit you with mine. Um, Ravenous was also on my list. Um, like I said, it's it's actually a legitimately decent movie. Um, it's, it's worth watching if you haven't seen it. Um, one of the ones on my list, I, I have to admit, I haven't seen. I've been looking for it because I've heard about it, and I'm trying to find it because... As you as you know, I love like the really campy, kind of like really so so terrible it's great type movies. There's a movie called. Why you're friends gonna... with me, really? Well, exactly. Because I'm so terrible, that I'm great. We're gonna eat you, and it's a movie about cannibals, 
And what goes better with cannibals than kung fu? That's right. It's a kung fu cannibal movie. And it has roller skates and sparklers and kung fu and cannibals. And I've seen the trailer. I haven't been able to get hold of the movie yet. And I keep looking for it. And I'll let you know if I can. Sounds Um, like a typical Saturday night for me. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I was going to call you on the fact that you hadn't seen that movie yet. It really was. I was like, no, you can't really do that. And then you explained it. And I was like, no, we're good. cannibals and kung fu i mean what else you know um also on my list was texas chainsaw massacre um classic cannibal movie you can't leave that off of any of any uh cannibal movie list um although i do believe jimmy has probably the the beginning of it all on his list um and i also had wrong turn uh wrong turn involves a little bit of cannibalism but it also has eliza eliza dushku in it who just a scotch of cannibalism Yes, just a scotch of cannibalism, but a gratuitous amount of Elijah Dushku, which is okay by me. Um, but number one on my list had to have been The Silence of the Lambs. And I went ahead and went with the series of movies because there was a little bit more cannibalism in Hannibal where you actually got to see you know, him feed Ray Liotta his own brain and stuff like that, which is, which is really a convincing scene. Um, Ray Liotta sold it very well and and Anthony Hopkins is just so freaking creepy as as Hannah. I actually felt that scene. Oh, like I felt man. like a nervous twitch, like almost like an ice cream headache. Like, <laughs> like you know, you I know that there's like scientific experiments where they'll like touch people's brains and like will cause their arm to move and stuff like that. Like when that scene was going on, I felt like a twinge going like down my forehead, and, making my eye twitch. And Ugh. me, I was like. Ugh. And me being an OR nurse, I have been in plenty of neuro cases where the patient is still awake. Um, so moving right yeah. along, <laughs> Jimmy just passed. Jimmy just passed out. <laughs> I did. What are we talking about? Okay, Jimmy, w- wake yourself up and give us give us your five. Uh, speaking of passing out, this movie actually, when it premiered and it made its its circuit, uh, they actually handed out barf bags at the premiere for this movie, and oh, wow. I saw this one. You know I saw this good. one. At, <laughs> I saw this one at the Indian. It's called Raw. It's a French film about cannibalism. <laughs> uh, girl goes off to college, discovers that uh, she really likes the taste of meat, and it was just really well done. Very gory. Uh, very good movie. Uh, getting Probably away from not horror. Her family. I would. I wouldn't bring. Like, not. Yeah. I, I think Rob hates that this is on my list, but uh, my number four is Cannibal, the musical. I don't and hate it because it's I... on your list, <laughs> simply because I i mean, I wanted to like it. I just couldn't like it, but I appreciate that you went for the comedy as opposed to the gore. <laughs> I, I did. It's uh, by Trey Parker and Matt Stone um, of South Park fame, and it's, it's very early on. It's pre-South Park. It's live action. It's goofy. It's funny, and it's it's pretty smart. I think those are pretty smart guys. Number three, I'm going to go with the Hills of eyes. The most recent one, as I admittedly so have not, not seen the original. Okay. I was going to say, so not the original. Correct. Um, very loosely based on a true story. If you want to look that up, Rob touched on this kind of the mother of cannibal movies, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. cannibal Holocaust, which is pretty hard to watch, Greg. I I think you have pretty strong fe- feelings on that. There, um, yeah, that would have been on my list. Um, a good friend of of my, actually, all of us know him, but I, he's a, a very good friend of mine, and 
mm-hmm. my friend Derek, um, who runs a, a horror comic company named Roughhouse Comics. There's Rough a shout House. out. Yep. Roughhouse. Um, he introduced me. He introduced me to that movie and introduced it to me with a very big caveat that this movie was banned. It was made in Italy and it was banned pretty much everywhere because there are some very graphic scenes of animals getting basically fed to snakes and things like that. Not they and it's they, and it's real. I believe I they, read that they actually killed like three animals, I think, on set. And I have a big problem with that being an animal person. Um yeah. so there was that and then other people, the the rumors, remember there was no internet back when this came out. A lot of the rumors were that it was actually like a real snuff film. Yeah, that it was real. And you know, watching it for the first time without any context, it, I could see very much how you could have thought it was real. My number one, I saw this on Netflix. I really had, it was kind of one of those flipping through and just kind of click on something, but I really, really enjoyed it. It's my number one. Um, it's called We Are What We Are, and it's about a family of cannibals. Um, and it's just, it's a slow burn, but... It's very well done, very well acted, and I I I really really love that movie. Not not as insanely gory, but just very cerebral. Nice. Okay, so that was each of our five. So I think what we need to do is kind of get together and come up with the definitive give me five final list of best cannibal movies. The definitive list. I think we can all agree on at least two films here. Maybe even three. Although I have not seen Ravenous, I'm very excited to see it. Uh, you guys have some really strong feelings about that, and although I haven't seen it. So I will move. It's, Ravenous showed up on two lists, so I think I will. And we, we did create these lists independent of each other. Yes. So and, and I have to say that I would probably include at least one of Jimmy's because I, I got to believe that on, on this list you got to – you got to put the movie that kind of like launched a lot of the, a lot of the cannibal stuff. So I would say that you'd have to include Cannibal Holocaust. But I don't think any top five cannibal movies would be complete without Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, agree. So I've, I can agree. So I'm typing this list absolutely. as we talk here. So I, I have Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Ravenous, Silence, and Cannibal Holocaust. Now, is there anything that you guys feel so strongly about that you'd be willing to to argue about? Because my other ones are either very little known or not kind of in the horror vein. So I, I put them on there because they are my favorite, but I don't think I would put them on the definitive list. Right. Um, I'm, I might say that we would, that we would go with um, The Hills Have Eyes just because it's, it's had a remake. Um, it's, it was good enough that it needed to be revisited. It it may, I I think it did decently well. While it's it's certainly not my favorite on my list. Um, if you you know, like Greg said, pointing to obscurity, I I really I really want to push. We are what we are and raw. But having seen the trailer for We Are What We Are and read a description of it and heard actually another podcast talk about it, mm-hmm. um, I, that one I was one of those I'm really excited about seeing and. And that is one that could replace Hills Have Eyes because I, I'm actually kind of interested to see it. I haven't seen it, so I can't really, I can't really throw that on there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I would it's... say that that would be that that would be one that could that could move itself onto the list instead of Hills Have Eyes. If if I would 
<laughs> if I would put my my flagpole down and say, no, this one's going on the list, it would be we are what we are. Okay. So Fair enough. I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you win that battle. Thank you. And then I'm gonna go see the movie. Let me know what you think. And Yeah, don't yeah, don't good. put down your flag, Jimmy. Nobody <laughs> I don't know what that means, but okay. Well, that'll be our show for today. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. This episode's sponsored by McDonald's. I'm loving it. <laughs> so my I, I have listed this in what I think should be the order. And we'll do this quick. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is number one. Silence of the Lambs number two. One of the original Cannibal Holocaust, number three. It's also one of the original um, found footage type movies, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Remember correctly. Yep. So It was Blair Witch before Blair Witch. Yep. So there's that. Um, we Are What We Are is number four, and Ravenous is number five. So I think that would be it. And that, I believe, is the definitive list of cannibal movies from Give Me Five Podcast. There you Congratulations. go. We want to hear what you guys think are the top five cannibal movies. Send them in. If you want us to discuss them, we'll discuss them. But let us know what you think. Yes. Feel free to just email us lists of cannibal movies to give me five podcast at gmail.com. Promise we won't forward that on to the authorities. Promise. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Okay, so we we made a little bit of a game time decision here. Uh, One, because, again, I can't count, and I put six things on our list of five. Um... We've had some feedback about our lovely Game of Thrones reviews, which people like them, except some people are not currently watching Game of Thrones because they don't have access to it. So, And that's totally okay. We still love yeah. you. Yes. So what we're going to do is kind of keep pushing out the Game of Thrones things more as a side special edition thing so that we have more opportunity during our regular show to talk about weird crap like cannibal karate folks and... Jason Momoa's pecs. And the roller disco. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys, thanks for listening. This is Rob. This is Greg. This is Jimmy. I'm going to eat you, man. The album is called Return to Alvgarath. Return to Alvgo. Called Return to Alvg. Return to Alvogarath. Alvograth. Return to Alvo. I had it. Future Cop with an exclamation park. It's from a band that I really like called Future Crap.